You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. If I had to tell you to turn to one main passage this morning, it would be in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. We're going to be all over the place today, but I'm going to read everything else and hopefully you can jot down those Scriptures, if you don't get them down, you're more than welcome to come talk to me afterwards, and I'll let you know those. But Hebrews 10.26 through 31 is a main part of where we're going to be today. So we're going to be around, in and around the whole Old Testament and New Testament most of the morning, but that'll be a main scripture that you can read with me. Um, so Dell, as Dell mentioned we've been talking about what direction the lord is leading us to teach and uh and we i, I believe that that is genesis genesis so lord well, willing we will be talking about genesis in the weeks to come and um so before that we were kind of talking about more of some more of these foundational beliefs that we are to have so what does that mean what does it look like so for several weeks um i've been thinking about this what's truly foundational to us as Christians, what does that look like? The very first thing that came to my mind, and it's the one of the most uh, most importance and primary importance, and that is that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Redeemer, and He is the very cornerstone and rock of our foundation. There's nothing more foundational than Jesus Christ inside of Christianity. Jesus is not only the beginning, He is also the end. He tells us this in Revelations 1.8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So foundationally speaking, we must know that our belief begins and ends in Jesus. So if this statement is true, and it absolutely is, do we believe in absolute truth? If you were here, we talked about that, right? Yeah, I made you, that's right. Dale didn't know what truth was till I talked to him. <laughs> so, um, so we we looked at the importance of Jesus, and, and and the the fact that He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the light. So, because it is very it's very important to our foundation, uh, who is Jesus, it is also very important to us to know to know these uh, foundational truths. So, um, that same week we talked about truth. We also in that same sermon, read the entry uh, statement of John and his gospel. And I'll, I'll repeat that to you now. And it's talking about Jesus as the very word of God. It says this in John, the first chapter, the first verse. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So as I was reading this, it's like, well, what else is foundational, foundational to us as Christians? Easy. The Word of God. Jesus is not only our cornerstone. He is the very Word of God, and that is very important to us to study and to know the Word of God. You see, the Bible is the most important, influential, offensive, truthful book ever written. You may know that it is the most 
distributed book in the entire world over all time. But you might not know, and this is according to Voice of Mar- uh, the Martyrs, that it is highly restricted or completely illegal in 52 countries around the world. Do you know that? Completely illegal. <laughs> the Bible. I w- do you find that as interesting as I do? Um, that I own several copies of a book that is against the law for millions of people around the world to read. I think that should pique our interest. I think, uh, I want to know what's in a book that these countries around the world are so scared of that they don't want their people to read it. I want to know what's in that book. So as I continue to drill down into what I thought we should cover today, I thought about, I thought about it being Father's Day, and as I read my Bible, and I look at God, and I see Him as our Heavenly Father, and how Jesus lived as His Son, and how we are His adopted sons and daughters, uh, I believe that God led me to teach on this word or this attribute that's not one of the more popular ones, and that is fear. Um, When we read our Bibles, we come across this phrase, the fear of the Lord, We see it, or statements about it, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. And in the modern church, it's become pretty commonplace to avoid talking about the fear of the Lord because it's not as easy to cover or to talk about as God's other attributes, His love, His joy, His peace, His mercy. And those are all very important. But as a modern church, when we do talk about fear, we talk about it from the standpoint of fear not. You see, Scripture uh, you can talk about that till the cows come home. There's so many fear not statements throughout Scripture. There's almost one for every day of the year. And I think that that's great. And it's extremely important that we understand that when you have Jesus as your king, you don't have anything in this world to fear. Now, hear what I said. When you have Jesus as your king, you have nothing in this world to fear. So this morning, we're going to focus on the fear that the Bible commands us to have. And that's the fear of the Lord. So we're going to look at uh, what the fear of the Lord is, and we're going to kind of break that down. Then we're going to look at three different approaches to people uh, that people in the Bible had to this fear of the Lord. So what does the fear of the Lord mean? What does the fear of the Lord mean? So when the Bible refers to the fear of the Lord, it means several things. It means having this deep respect and reverence and awe for God's power and authority. But it also means fear. You can't get away from that. Some people want to stop by defining it with just those first few things. But it is a proper fear of God Almighty. You see, proper fear of the Lord leads us to love Him. And several of these scriptures that we're going to look at today explain that the proper fear of God leads to full, complete lives and bright futures. This is just one commentary, a I, I, I little snippet here. It says, The fear of God is an attitude of respect, a response of reverence and wonder. It is the only appropriate response to our Creator and Redeemer. And so I believe that there's an interesting argument to be made here about fear, all right? As we read the Bible, it is clear that we were designed to love, right? 
that's, I, I, I think that's not, that's not a stretch at all to see that, that God is love and we were made in his image and we're designed to love. But I don't think that's the only thing we were designed to do. I believe that according to these scriptures we look at, we're also designed to fear the Lord our God. We are commanded to do so. And this is where sin comes into play. You see, since the fall, where, where Adam and Eve sinned, Adam sinned, and, and the world entered into sin, our ability to love has become swayed and perverted and off track. We have become lovers of self and lovers of created things and not the creator. The same is true of fear. Instead of having proper fear of the Lord as our creator, we have grown fearful of creation. We're, we're fearful of worldly things. Think about it. We fear tons of bad things, don't we? I mean, we fear crime. We fear auto accidents, devastating storms, coronavirus, chemical weapons, mass murders, terrorists, earthquakes, demons, and Satan himself. We fear a lot of things, don't we? This weekend, a couple of days ago, we went to uh, Rock City. I've never, I lived in Tennessee my whole life. I've never been to Rock City once. Uh, it's just one of those things, I've seen it painted on every barn, every other barn. And I told my wife, I told Whitney, I'm like, man, we can, we can go to Rock City, check that out. So we go to Rock City, we meet up with some friends there. And uh, there, it's, I don't know if you've been there. How many people have been there? Quite a few. Am I the only one that didn't, hadn't been? So anyways, so there's... So there's this part of this trail, it's this big trail, and so there's this one part called Fat Man Squeeze, and Carrington's like, look out, Daddy, it's going to get rough. I'm like, Shh. <laughs> somebody's not getting a gift at the gift shop. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> so Whitney and I were talking about this, and I don't know, Whitney was never scared of much of anything, but she is, she says she's more fearful or claustrophobic now than she's ever been, so... Lo and behold, we were kind of talking about this before we get even here, and we didn't even know about Fat Man Squeeze. And so here it comes, and you see it, and it like gets down like this, and and Whitney's looking at me, and I'm, and she's like, I ain't, I ain't doing this. This is, and so we made it through. One of the guys with us. I, I mean, I had to take Quinn. I had to duck. I had to turn sideways. Had to put some Crisco on one wall. You know, it was. We got through, but it's it was a real fear for Whitney. I mean, it was legit. I mean, she, she can't, she, she has it now. She never had it before, but it's just interesting. I say that to say we are fearful of so many things in this world. But the one thing that we're supposed to be fearful of, we don't even give two thoughts. So as we, as we look at this, where, when, you, when you study the Bible, there is no mistaking uh, the repeated commands to fear God. Why is King Solomon he put it this way in explaining his reasoning, uh, reason for writing the book of Proverbs. He says in Proverbs 1-7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Goes on to say in Proverbs 9-10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So why? Why do we ask this? Consider what uh, the author of uh, Psalms 111 wrote. He said this in 111-10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Solomon's daddy, David, in Psalm 34, he also tells us 
about learning the fear of the Lord. He might have very well taught this to his own children, uh, Solomon being one of them. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So what we need to see here is that a healthy fear of God includes uh, the fear of consequences and disobediences. There are many times of temptation or trial when we may forget uh, some of the better reasons for obeying God. And that is when we really need to think about these consequences. Remember Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. That's where we're at. It says this, follow along with me. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That was very poignant, very to the point to Jewish followers, all right? They were under Moses' law. We're under a different law. We're under the new covenant of Christ. So pay attention to what's said next. So let me repeat that. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Oh, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Count it the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified as a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Reverence of God helps us to take him and his beneficial law seriously. Being in harmony with the spiritual laws that govern the universe have astounding benefits. Many of, these, many of those do come in this life, but the greatest benefits we will experience after this life when we live for eternity in the presence of God Almighty. So that's what I wanted you to see. That's what is this fear of the Lord? Where do we see it? What does it mean? So our second point is, what, is, what does it look like? Three different approaches. If we read and study God's word, how do we see people deal with the fear of the Lord? How do they apply it to their lives? And, and what does that look like in a right way and in a wrong way? So first is this, looking at these three different uh, approaches to, or responses to the fear of the Lord. The first is a distancing from God, a worldly fear response is what I call it. A distancing from God, a worldly fear response. And we don't have to go far into the Bible to encounter this first type of fear. If we look at Genesis 3, where sin has entered into the, in, into the world, uh, Adam and Eve have eaten this fruit, uh, and, and instantly they, they become condemned in their mind of what they've done. And so Adam had just committed this first sin, and we look and see what he does next in verse 8. Uh, chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God 
walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I have heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. If we go to the very next book of the Bible, we see uh, a passage that Dale just taught about just here recently, uh, right out of uh, Exodus, right after the Ten Commandments are given. Uh, The Lord himself speaks these commandments to the people and look at their response. In Exodus 20, verse 18 through 21, it says this, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. And trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us. Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So, what do you see in these two examples? What we see here is that we have people who know God. They know God, right? In an undeniable way, they know God. But the fear they have towards Him is based in sin and not out of adoration. They did not have a proper fear. They were just scared in their sin. They're just scared. The exception here is seen in Moses, right? Look back at 21 there, or or listen to 21 again. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Listen, there's no doubt that the thick darkness is a scary place. But when you have the fear of the Lord, it ain't much of nothing. The fear of the Lord trumps any fear that you're going to encounter in this world. So, The question is, how about us? How about us? How about you? How will you choose to live your life? Will you live scared? Or will you live with the proper fear of the Lord? Second second example. This one's from the New Testament and comes in the early days of the church when the church is really rocking and rolling. We're reading through Acts as as a deacon body and as pastors we're reading together. And uh, I encourage you to read Acts too. This is, this is out of chapter 5. This is Ananias and Sapphira, uh, starting in verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1 in Acts. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and his wife, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only, brought only a, part of what it and, only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. I'm sorry. But Peter said, Ananias, why... Has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all those who heard it. The young men rose up and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? 
Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at the feet of, and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her off and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So this is the second one. And this one I call the don't care attitude or ignorance response. So did Ananias and Sapphira know God? Were they aware of God, a heavenly father, right? Oh, yeah. And not only did they know God, but it appears that they were members of the church, right? So did they know about the fear of the Lord? I'm making an assumption here. I don't think it's too big a one, but I would say yes, because they sat under the teaching of Peter and the apostles themselves, the actual disciples that Jesus had handpicked and taught while he was on earth. They, Peter's here. Peter, the Peter is here talking to them. So it appears that they just didn't care enough to fully fear the Lord as they should. At the very least, they were followers of God, but ignorant of the command to fear the Lord. And if you don't know, <laughs> let me tell you, when it comes to the Heavenly Father, ignorance is not an excuse. So once again, the question is, how about us? How about you? Do you claim Jesus as your Savior, but have a don't care approach to the fear of the Lord? The third and final response is this. Uh, we look at several examples where people got it right. <laughs> the Bible gives us quite a few examples of the people of God and noticed uh, and, and, and praises them for their reverence and their fear of the Lord. Um, at the end of Abraham's greatest test uh, with uh, his son, after he showed his willingness to give up his promised son, believing that God could resurrect Isaac, God told Abraham, this is in Genesis 22, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Moses, again, uh, followed his father-in-law's advice to appoint God-fearing men to serve as judges in Israel. Moreover, moreover over, I'm sorry, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and placing such... Um, over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. Um, these judges, they would remember the responsibility before God to not take bribes, and, and they lived in the fear of the Lord. Uh, also, Moses recorded instructions for future kings of Israel to write out a copy of biblical law, and it, shall, and, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and all these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from his commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. When we read ahead in Jeremiah, Hezekiah is one of these kings that it says in Jeremiah twenty six nineteen that Hezekiah did fear God. There's other examples of, of the midwives who spared baby boys in Exodus, Nehemiah, Job, um, even the centurion in Acts. Uh, we, 
even Paul, when he's in Acts and, and, and he comes into this community where they're, where they're worshiping Zeus and these other gods, they look at Paul and try to start worshiping Paul. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Don't you worship me. I'm just a man just like you. So as we read God's word, we see that there are these responses. And we get to have a choice in what we do with what we know about the fear of the Lord. So as we read about the fear of the Lord, we see, I hope you see, that it is foundational. It is very foundational to what we believe as followers of Jesus. So, one last time, the question after this this third and final um, response is this, how about us? How about us? How about you? How about me? Will we live our lives in such a way that it would be perfectly clear that we fear the Lord and we seek to follow Him all our days? Let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that the word spoken went forth and uh, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you make it clear what it is to know the fear of the Lord, what it is to believe in the fear of the Lord, and what it is to apply that to our lives today in this place as we leave out of here, as we lead as fathers, as we lead as mothers, as we lead uh, as, as uh, employers and employees, Lord. I pray that the fear of the Lord be present in our lives. And may we not be scared of worldly things, but hold fast to the fear fear of you, Heavenly Father. May we know that as we encounter these these utter darknesses that are around us, these worldly fears, that none can stand up to you. That you are a conqueror and Lord of all. I pray that we, we just trust in you Jesus, you are the way and the truth and the light and and that we fear you, Father, and that we seek you, Holy Spirit, to guide us in these things this week. I pray that uh, you're with us now as, as, as we eat together and fellowship together, Lord. May we encourage one another. May we be faithful to pray for one another. May we be faith, faithful to pray for Dell and Ray this week, Lord, as they're on the mission field. I pray for Pastor Jess Well, Lord. I pray that it's a, a, a time of much fruit. I pray that you go before them and behind them, Lord. I pray that you work in many powerful ways. I pray that uh, as, we, as we think of you this week, as we meditate on you and your word, that we, we're not, we don't forget or, or deny our brothers or sisters in India, Lord, that we be faithful to pray for them. Lord, may the di- desires of your heart, may you make the desires of your heart, the desires of our heart. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Jesus. I pray. Now to you, Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega. 
We want to we give you this day, and, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.